Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey everyone, and thanks for listening. Today I'm speaking with Hikari Senju, CEO and founder of Omnikey, an ad tech platform that's raised over 10 million in funding. Hikari, thanks for chatting with me today. Really excited to be here, Brett. So to kick things off, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Sure, yeah. So I grew up in Westchester, New York. My grandfather works at IBM. The IBM headquarters is, is based in Westchester. Um, my mother also grew up in Westchester, New York for that reason. And really, you know, kind of grew up with this kind of tech-centric, every time spending time with your grandfather was all about Moore's Law, innovate or die, you have to always be innovating. The world changes every six months, and you're always like in the sprint for um, you know building the next product, even with the assumption that the product will go out of date in a year. And so it's this like, never-ending rat race in some ways for innovation, but building these world-changing products. So that was kind of the broth that was incubated in growing up. You're definitely technologically oriented, you know, growing up and uh, going to Harvard, MIT, Princeton, these other places, ultimately chose to go to Harvard and study computer science there, but cross-registered at MIT. And it was really at MIT almost a decade ago when I was taking an early machine learning AI class at MIT where I was looking at some of the early generative models that were basically you could have these massive neural nets and, you know, kind of hallucinate. They learned patterns in the in their embeddings through this kind of generative adversarial process to generate imagery. And my dad's an artist. So I think he was combining that technological fascination and obsession growing up with the application in disrupting and kind of being an AI artist, that AI can be creative, was the most exciting and thrilling thing for me that really got me on this path being like, I want to build these tools. I want to build these models. I want to learn as much as I can about this technology. And ideally, you know, one of the people helping to shape this technology. And so that's kind of a quick rundown in terms of my obsession with generative AI. It was kind of that moment at that class when, he came, when all these things clicked together. Between then and now, I started a couple of venture back companies in college. One of them was an online uh, kind of ed tech business where it was actually a chat interface where it would connect students with tutors and help answer questions regarding their math homework and other kinds of homework. And a lot of that, the application there, the problems we were solving there was about personalized learning. How do you connect the right students to the right tutors, uh, how do you create content or create coursework that is compelling and interesting for based on different students' backgrounds and their learning styles and their understanding of, of different concepts, what's interesting to them. And I think that kind of still ties in today with what we're doing at OmniKey regarding generative AI and, and ads. And, and in many ways, advertising is education at scale. And so kind of the early kind of thinking we're doing about creating content, personalized content for education purposes, you know, threads itself into the work we do today. And then this company, this ed tech company, was grew to a certain size and was acquired by another ed tech company uh, where I led marketing. And so it was really there running marketing with all these pieces clicked together regarding Omniki. So I saw this opportunity to use generative AI to solve this really hard problem in advertising, which is this infinite need for content, right? Advertisers have this insatiable desire and appetite for content, tell better personalized stories uh, regarding all the different SKUs that an advertiser may have and also regarding all the different audiences they may be targeted and across all the different platforms who may be trying to reach that potential customer. And so that combining that insatiable need with content with my obsession with generative AI kind of got me enough conviction to start on Key in 2018 
to generate personalized experiences at scale and to generate personalized ads at scale. And yeah, it really just been grinding away at that mission consistently since. Nice. That's awesome. And two questions that we like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder. First one is what founder do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? Yeah. So this is kind of an oldie, but I think, you know, the founder that I really admire the most is maybe also kind of cliche, but it's, I have this personal connection with this founder where, you know, I have alopecia. So I have, you know, uh, this autoimmune condition where I kind of, maybe it's just, uh, I don't have any hair or things like this. And so the uh, JD Rockefeller also had this same condition. He also had alopecia uh, universalis. And I just have incredible fascination and admiration for him. I think the way he viewed markets, the way he viewed opportunities, the way he viewed strategy, you know, when I pitch OmniHue to some that would, you know, would recruiting, say, executives from different kinds of industries and such, I pitch OmniHue as almost being in the data refinery business, uh, similar to how J.D. Rockefeller was in the oil refinery business. J.D. Rockefeller turned crude oil into, you know, products, whether those are, you know, at that time, it was initially cars, uh, you know, like lamps for lamp purposes, but then eventually you know, fuel for cars and such. And, and I think likewise, OmniKey is in the data refinery business where we turn raw data, which in and of itself isn't that valuable into personalized experiences. This is the valuable output of data. And so we turn data into personalized experiences, just like J.C. Rockefeller turned crude oil into different oil-based products. And so I really think it's quite a J.C. Rockefeller, feel like similar medical conditions and similar kinds of obsessions. And so that's the, uh, the founder that I admire the most. But to be fair, I am obsessed with founder biographies. If you can get me, you know, if I see a founder biography, I'll read it over a day or two. Like every single founder story is a feature for me. And uh, the list can go on and on about founders from, you know, Joe Kennedy to even J. Edgar Hoover. Like these are, you know, lots of different founders in different areas that I, I am obsessed with and I learned from. So yeah, but uh, the one that I admire the most is J.D. Rockefeller. You know, I almost read Titan. I downloaded it on Audible and it was like 32 hours long. And I was like, man, that's a, that's a big, you gotta read it. 32 you gotta hours. Read it. You gotta read it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ron Chernow, I've read all his books. He's so good. All his bios, all his biographies are so good. But yeah, Titan, it's one of my favorite books uh, and it's definitely one of my favorite biographies for sure. Have you heard of the podcast Founders by chance? Yes. Nice. I just got yeah. introduced to that. I'm like, this is like a dream because I'm, I'm saying I, I love reading these books, but sometimes it's too long for me. You know, I want to know about the person, but I don't like 20 hours want to know them. I just want to like, yeah, kind of understand their background a little bit. But, so I've yeah. been excited to see that podcast or listen to that podcast. The thing with books, though, that I like is that there's these like kind of weird idiosyncrasies about these founders that you learn better when you read these books. There's just so much more detail about like what makes them tick, what were their motivations, I think sometimes like the thing with like the spark notes of founder bios is you don't really always understand where they're coming from when they made these critical decisions and at, at these key junctures. You just know that they made these decisions. And sometimes that decision in and of itself isn't that helpful because, you know, contexts change, environments change. But like by reading the person's bio and kind of understanding their story leading up to that decision, I think that feeds better into like making better decisions in similar situations myself. I you know, I, but this is like reading founder bios in some ways is my own form of therapy because I know that like whatever, you know, tough times we'd be going through, like I feel like I can kind of, you know, translate that into a similar situation potentially from one of the, at this point, you know, like, like you know, a lot of founder bios I read and definitely gives me confidence that like 
how many lifetimes are there some kind of, you know, some founder went through some kind of similar situation and they overcame it. And so I do like the full context that regarding some key decisions that these long bios, so I, I, I don't know. I think books are also valuable. Yeah, totally agree. For me, there's like this sweet spot, you know, where it's like, I want to know about the person, but I just don't want to spend yeah, that many hours. So if the yeah. alternative is I'm never going to learn about that person, yeah, I'll absolutely. take the hour-long podcast for the, uh, what, for the consumption's sake. What I do is I, and the, the, the cheat I do here is I do listen to them at 2x speed. So I definitely probably miss a lot of information as well. But, you know, you get, I get enough of the key kind of trends in that person's background uh, when listening to them at 2x speed. So like, you're right, like I'm probably not ingesting the full like picking up every single little detail about this founder's background, but by listening to X speed, like you can see recurring themes regarding this person's motivation and kind of way they think about the world that, you know, you just, it's just through repetition, you, you hear through the course of eight, say an eight hour book. Also, I think the value of a, of a book is the structure that a book provides. It tends to be clear arguments and supporting arguments and that kind of drives home key important points more strongly. And then sometimes, you know, a podcast just kind of briefly might touch a point, but yeah, I mean, if there's definitely also an option of listening to a quick podcast about a founder or that if it's interesting, reading the book or something like this. But yeah, I mean, any form of information is is good. Yeah, totally agree. And outside of Titan, what would you say is your number one favorite entrepreneur biography or founder biography? Yeah, yeah. so the book that I love the most is A Soul of a New Machine by Tracy Kidder. Uh, this is an oldie. Uh, but uh, it is one of the best books I read about software development and engineering, building technology products, and being a builder of technology products. The Soul of a New Machine by Tracy Kidder, and it is a book about this uh, like data general. It's a data general general in the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, as they're working to release this new computer. And the recurring theme, actually, of this book is that you know, in many ways, software development and technology development is like a game of pinball, right? You you work so hard, and the reward you get for working so hard and winning is you just get to stay in the game, right? And it goes back to this theme earlier as well, you know, from from this, from, from looking at for the idea of like, you know, you have to keep innovating and you have to keep winning to build and build compelling products just to stay in the game in technology uh, that, uh, you know, you can't have these technology trends pass you or else, uh, you know, your business becomes under threat. And so therefore your business is constantly under threat every, every you know, couple of years. You know, the Andy Grove, uh, only the paranoid survive kind of mentality. And so, but the great thing about the soul of the new machine is it's the narrative of the soul of the new machine. You feel this paranoia, you feel these incredibly young, you know, young engineers, young teams, straight out of college, like essentially locked up in this warehouse, like working like their life depends on it, like 24 seven, dedicating their soul into building this product uh, just to remain competitive because the competitors really see a similar kind of product. And the leader of this project goes, I think Tom West goes in and kind of launches, uh, kind of it takes a big bet regarding a new technology to kind of bet the the company against in terms of this new uh, hardware that they're building and uh, it's kind of the ramifications of that. But, um, you know, the idea of these, you know, super young engineering teams working their hearts out to build these tools 24-7, you're basically living in the office, scrambling, making these trade-offs between speed and quality all the time. You know, to get this product out in the short time frame is, yeah. <laughs> and then the reward for that is you just get to do it again, is I think one of the best books, frankly, regarding developing technology products and software, the software industry and technology industry. And it's one of my favorite books. It's definitely my favorite book when he, as a founder that like, however, you know, yes, I have, there's bugs and there's issues and there's always this constant trade-off between having, you know, young, energetic engineers and, and quality of code and time and training and 
keeping everyone organized and motivated and uh, some things don't change. Nice. You know, you're the, the second founder to say that book. The other one was a, really? this guy named TJ Jermalik. So he's the founder yeah. of Beyond Identity. They've raised like 200 million in funding, but yeah. he's like a Silicon Valley OG. So he was there at like Silicon Graphics in like the early yeah. 90s and, and all of that stuff. And then he had that as his favorite book as well. So that's all I need to hear. If two people say it's their favorite book, I'll read it. So I'll order yeah. a copy after this, uh, after the interview. It's my favorite book. Now let's switch gears and let's talk a bit more about the platform. So I think we really covered the origin story quite well there, but let's let's explore what the platform looks like. So can you just talk us through the platform? Sure, yeah. So OmniKey uses generative AI and data to generate ads. So we use computer vision and other uh, kind of reverse like uh, home engineering to quantify the designs of ads. What kind of keywords, uh, what kind of visual elements are in the ad, and also what just describing what's in the ad. Uh, GPT-4, for example, has got really good at quantifying images and videos and what makes the image compelling. And combining that with marketing data and advertising data with return on ad spend data uh, to then say, okay, so these are the types of stories that drive the highest sales when it comes to you know, a certain audience or certain platform. These are the types of uh, creative and content that gets the best distribution on certain platforms with targeting certain audiences or for certain types of companies or certain types of products. And then we use those insights to then generate content with generative AI, uh, generate images, generate the banner ads, generate display ads, and increasingly now generating video ads. The customers can then provide feedback on through our workflow tool. And then, you know, that's human feedback that then they can, you know, if the ad isn't good enough, they can provide human feedback on the platform. But what could make the ad better? And the moment they approve the ad, it gets automatically launched across all the different platforms that they want to launch their ads against. And we have integrations with all the major advertising platforms. And so it's this generative AI data-driven product with an element of human feedback to constantly build our own AI that generates compelling content and ads to help our customers, our business customers, scale their businesses, whether that is the biggest brands in the world or an entrepreneur that's just getting started and wants to connect with their initial set of customers. And who is your ideal customer today? Is it a small business? Is it enterprise, mid-market? What does that look like for you? Yeah, so the vast majority of my customers today are SMB. We're breaking into the enterprise and mid-market, and we have a smaller kind of agency business as well that's being built out. At scale, I imagine it's going to be you know, a quarter breakdown between agencies, SMBs, mid-market, and enterprise. But the initial traction has been amongst SMBs. I think the, you know, the classic kind of innovators dilemma where you kind of come into the market with an inferior product at a cheaper price, and then as the technology improves, you kind of displace the incumbents. Is kind of you know the play that we're achieving as well. And so, and now especially our enterprise businesses have been growing a lot faster in the last couple of months. And as I'm sure you've experienced, finding product market fit and, and reaching product market fit isn't easy. So where are you in that journey, and, and what have you learned along the way? Yeah, so I would definitely say we have early signs of product market fit. So we are, you know, several million dollars in revenue, recurring revenue. We have customers who love the product that are sticky customers. And overall, our net revenue retention is pretty good. So it's kind of good over time. As it was not good when we launched the product, you know, 2020, but it's definitely gone a lot better and it's becoming very sticky. And so, yeah, I mean, in terms of like what we've learned along the way, I think it's this constant loop of human customer feedback on improving the workflows, right? I think the thesis when we launched the company was these generative AI models, these LLMs, 
These foundation models are going to improve on their own because there's so much energy on them. At the research institution level, internationally by the big tech companies to improve these foundation models. And so the focus was always about building the best workflow product, the best customer-facing product, and then kind of switching in different models as the technology progressed. So initially when we launched the product, it was just GPT-1 and stock images. So they began with GPT-2, GPT-3, GPT-4. And then regarding uh, image generation with stock images, that it was Dolly. And now it's our fine-tuned uh, kind of stable diffusion-based models uh, on our own uh, hosted on our own GPUs. And so that kind of obsession of the customer building the best stickiest product for them to really provide consistently value for them has been kind of the obsessive focus and orientation regarding product market fit and building the best product. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now back to today's episode. And how are you thinking about your market category? Yeah, so our market category, I think, is in generative AI applied to advertising and marketing. The, <laughs> there is so much growth opportunity for us. It's almost like the what to focus. It, you know, It's so critical to figure out what to focus on and make, make sure we stay focused because there are so many interesting applications of utilizing LLMs, agents, generative models, data to um, just superpower all these different functions within the demand generation, customer-facing side, uh, customer-like relationship side of of the business. And so I would categorize us, ourselves as like a marketing, advertising, generative AI company. Nice. And what type of growth are you seeing today? Our audience you know, loves to hear metrics. So any metrics or numbers that you're able to share would be awesome. Yeah, we grew 2x year over year, and uh, we're you know on track to growing faster this year. Nice. And and what do you attribute to that growth? What are you what are you getting right? Well, I think this goes back to the early days of the way we kind of set things up. I think first off, we built a great brand in generative AI. When I started the company, you know, I, I saw that there would be increased competition. I thought that this in 2018. I thought that generative AI would be a massively huge thing. Like the kind of this excitement I had when I was watching this lecture, I knew that if this technology is exponentially improved by a couple of magnitudes, the applications are pretty ginormous in, in a variety of industries. And so I wanted to start really building this, building this spread. And so just consistently communicating to the market that we are the leading generative AI company for advertisers year over year, not really deviating from that message has helped. And that I think that's starting to kind of now uh, seep into the market. The market started to understand the messaging and the value problems we've been communicating consistently for the past several couple of years, especially now with ChatGPT bringing awareness on that. I mean, we were last year the only generative AI company to pitch as a finalist at TechWord Disrupt. You know, we were a boomer on all the different market maps from CV Insights to NFX as one of the hottest generative AI companies. And a bunch of industry leaders have highlighted us in, in different settings as one of the companies to watch for. So I think these are all the fruits of the labor of just, you know, even when, when it was an AI winter or, you know, 23,000 when AI was kind of viewed as this kind of thing that was always in the future or that was always kind of overpromised, but never kind of, uh, you know, always kind of overpromised, underdelivered, right? Uh, in the late 2010s and kind of grinding through those moments, working through those moments, just not deviating from our focus. Uh, today, I think the market is kind of finally understanding the vision that we've been communicating consistently for this time. And I think the other big thing is we just built a great product over time. 
you know, building data integrations with all these different ad networks and platforms take time. Uh, not anybody can get access to these ad networks. You need to have a track record of running ads before they give you access to these platforms, each of these platforms. Uh, and then just building a great sticky product that customers love and find joy from in terms of, you know, signing up and connecting their different ad accounts and connecting, uploading all their different brand assets and then generating the content and proving the content and seeing it uh, launch magically is, you know, I think also just, again, a labor of love of many, many years. It takes, it takes years to build a great product. And I think it's just a fruit of all those years spent on just building and focusing on building the best product. And as I mentioned there in the intro, you've raised over 10 million in funding so far. So from that fundraising journey and that push, what are some of the lessons that you learned along the way that would be interesting and helpful for other early stage B2B founders listening in? Yeah, I mean, you can never time the market, right? So, you know, you raise the money when you can raise the money. When you're hot, you raise money. When you're not hot, you got to survive. I wish I could, I wish there was like an easy way, but sometimes the market is in more control of the process than you are. I think, you know, for the first couple of years, we were very lucky. We got some early funding from uh, Village Global, which is like a seed stage pre-seed fund that I'd met the partners there through my previous company. And then Richard Socher, uh, the, the chief scientist at Salesforce at the time, he also co-authored, uh, was one of the co-authors for ImageNet and Global Vectors, like regarding word embeddings and such. And so was very lucky early days, receiving some key backing from from certain investors, but still like very, very bootstrap lead times for the first couple of years. Most investors were definitely skeptical of advertising technology and then and definitely uh, somewhat skeptical of even AI technologies at that time, it was kind of viewed as kind of this far off thing that made, you know, who knows the time frame which these promises would have been delivered. And so during those time periods, the focus was on staying alive and just focusing on building the product as scrappily as we can and just staying scrappy and, and building the best product with the limited resources while keeping the company alive. And then, you know, late last year, definitely the two changed. You know, you have Dolly, you have Stable Diffusion, uh, and, then, and then you subsequently after that, you have ChatGPT and that just exploded the interest and demand for generative AI and validated our, our initial thesis. And so that made it a lot easier to raise the 10 million at the end of last year. But uh, then, you know, from there, I got really key backing from John Donovan, who led that road. He's the former CEO of AT&T Communications on the board of Lockheed and, and Peloton Networks and just a key backer and believer in us early. He also invested in this in an earlier round two years ago, and he really helped kind of get the investors together as well as some funds. And so I would say, yeah, like giving up, keeping at it, and also just develop, you know, like at the end of the day, fundraising is a function of trust. And, and I think that just trust is a function of building relationships based on trust. And so doing what you say you're going to do and consistently just doing what you're saying you're going to do day over day with the investor community. When you, you know, the first time you meet with an investor, they might not invest, but if you tell them what you're going to do and then you keep executing against it, you know, they'll believe you a bit more when you say, I can achieve this bigger thing now that we've achieved these earlier things. So just developing track record, developing a reputation of being a person that sticks to the word, you know, having honor, delivering at whatever cost the promises you make and, you know, making both bold bets, but then also executing against that and developing that track record, I think is also key for fundraising. So can that just hard work as well? Yeah, that's super, super helpful advice. And it sounds like you really got that validation for everything that you believed and, and everything you were pushing for last year, right? Or that's at least like when the market really started to get it. So from between 2018 and last year, when the market really started to get it, were there ever any like 
dark times in that five-year period where you know you felt like you had this vision, but the market just didn't understand it or, or didn't believe in it? And if so, how do you you know keep going? How do you persevere through those times? Well, I think partly I'm like a massive nerd for the technology. And so I actually didn't really care if the market didn't get it because I was just having so much fun learning about the technology. Like for me, it's a dream job, whether I'm being paid or not. If I get to spend 24-7 playing with all these generative models and making art with AI, right? Like it's it's so intrinsically fulfilling for me that I didn't really care if you know, we were making money or not making money. or, or we, we definitely were making money very early on. And so we we had a good business and we were, we had good margins from the very beginning, partly because we we had to. We were profitable within the first year. So we had a good business. And so there was no like existential concern of the company dying immediately. We had structured the company in a way uh, where it was profitable and it had good margins and good cash flow from, from the very beginning. So there was less of an existential concern there. And then for me that, you know, I didn't care what the rest of the world thought. Uh, you know, as long as the company's alive and it's doing well and it's not going to die immediately and I get to do what I'm obsessed with, then like that's the best. And so I was just focusing on building the best product and, you know, integrating all these cool technologies in the product of creating value for customers. And that in and of itself was fulfilling. I didn't really, you know, obviously it was painful to be rejected from you know, investors and such, you know, immediately all the time. But like, that's also that's just part of being an entrepreneur, I think is like, you know, being rejected <laughs> So the time would be that you just have to, every entrepreneur has to develop a thick skin, especially, you know, like not just the rite of passage. So and I think also reading the book, all these books, also provided context that, hey, like, this is not on, you know, fundamentally, you know, you become a successful entrepreneur because you saw an opportunity before anyone else did. So almost the recurring theme with every one of these bios, right, these founder bios, especially these very successful founders is initial rejection because by definition, they were early into a market. And so therefore, by definition, they spent the first couple of years being rejected. And so that also provided confidence for me as well, being like, well, Yes, it's painful that I'm being rejected, but this is also normal for entrepreneurs, especially when you're right. And so that also, you know, I think that's why reading these books provides some form of therapy to me because as much as those times are tough, I knew that it was still like a normal process of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And final question here for you. What's next for the company? Let's talk, you know, maybe three to five year vision. Can you just paint a picture of what that's going to look like? Yeah, absolutely. So I think. The vision for OmniKey is the vision that we've communicated, you know, from day one, right? Which is generating personalized experiences. I think we're in a very interesting moment now where the creation of digital experiences, right? Whether that's content, blog, but also code, landing pages, we're going to see like the explosion of, you know, single person entrepreneur, Like right? We're going to see like single people companies become unicorns, right? Like you, we're going to have, you know, like uh, Instagram, right? Where it was quite for a billion dollars with four people. We're going to see a lot more of those. Because what these generative models enable and empower is, is that kind of leverage for really visionaries. They don't need necessarily to raise tons of venture to get their products out, to, you know, to get their products built. And so that said, though, there's the, still the need for distribution, right? Every great compelling product still needs good distribution. And so if we can be the platform, the product that they utilize to scale their businesses, you know, and this has always been the mission, right? To democratize growth, to empower entrepreneurs, to empower human creativity. That also, and by the way, going back to the kind of a key advice here for founders is, you know, have a compelling mission. And because that's what attracts the team, that's what attracts the quality of the team is the compellingness of that mission. And our mission is to democratize growth and empower human creativity. And I think that's part of why we've been able to attract great talent. So these entrepreneurs 
are going to need partners to help scale their businesses. And when you've built a product that helps them go to market scalably, we'll generate the content, we'll do the media buying, we'll eventually generate landing pages using the data, the, the data mode we have. We're going to you know, generate other all other customer touch points. We're going to generate personalized experiences omni-channel and also cross-funnel powered by data to help these businesses, these entrepreneurs achieve their vision of connecting with customers and scaling their different product offerings. And so this next wave of entrepreneurs we're going to see powered by these generative AI, GBT, LLM models, you know, we would love to arm them and help them connect with those their customers faster and help them scale their businesses with our platform. And so, yeah, we're just getting started. Amazing. I love it. Unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time to cover for today's interview. Before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where should they go? Yeah, I mean, follow me on Twitter at uh, uh, HISNJ. Follow uh, OmniKey on Twitter, OmniKey, it's just at OmniKey. Follow, you know, connect me with me on LinkedIn and go check out our website, OmniKey.com. Follow us on other social platforms is the best way to stay up to date. And yeah, never don't feel, yeah, like feel free to reach out, you know, LinkedIn or Twitter or, and yeah. Those are some of the good places of staying in touch and, and connecting. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, talking about what you're building and, and sharing some of those lessons that you've learned along the way. I really enjoyed this interview and I know our audience is going to as well. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Brett. Really enjoyed this conversation. All right. Let's keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 